Here we go. We're going to see how this goes. I get to see into the hearts of, of coaches and athletes yes. so quickly. We can have this adrenaline rush in the moment and still be the image bearers of Christ that we are called to be. My passion is for the life of Christ to be lived out through me. I mean, Seth turned a little red when he was talking. It was really, really good. I get really excited. We want to find an easier time. We want to find a better time. And it's never going to appear. The best time is now. Zach, you're dropping proverbs on us, man. My work as coach is a minister of the gospel. Man, I am looking forward to more conversations around this. You guys are the best. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Competing Biblically podcast. Nick, Seth, and Pancake here with you guys as always. Cakes! And last episode, we talked about Jesus in preparation. Today, we're going to be talking about Jesus in action. So preparation has no value if we're not going to do what it is we've prepared to do. And um, so today, we're going to talk about, as Nick was saying earlier, getting in the game. We got to, he's getting in the game here get to see Jesus at game time, which is great. As Seth, as you were saying that, I think of James says uh, not to be hearers of the word only, but doers. Mm-hmm. So we get to see the hearing. We, we've kind of saw Jesus communing with the spirit, being prepared, and now we're transitioning to glean from the life and actions of Jesus, how he kind of lived things out. So uh, Wes gives some bit broader categories here of, of some ways that we've seen the attitude and action of Jesus with Things like intensity and rigid flexibility and divine perspective and um, being able to have the attitude of controlled emotion. Mm -hmm. So we get to see the attitudes and not necessarily actions are involved, but attitudes played out through the life of Jesus, which is pretty cool. So this first one here, Jesus had an attitude of intensity. Uh, What did you guys take from kind of this chapter? There's a bunch of scriptures here. Anything jump out? to you guys as interesting, helpful, challenging? Um, Yeah, I have quite a few things actually stuck out to me from this section. One of them was he never lost sight of his purpose no matter how tough the situation became. And I think of, and I've mentioned this scripture quite a few times on the podcast, it always always pops up in my mind, Hebrews 12, um, 12, 12-2, where it says, you know, Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. He didn't allow the circumstances that are around him to detract him from his overall purpose and mission. And when we're talking about the attitude of intensity, that's what he's saying is not allowing our circumstances to dictate our attitude, our behavior, but we're driven by a purpose, a mission, and a conviction from from God and, and from the Holy Spirit. Um, and he talks about that couple of different ways and and i see some we talk about the foundation strong will in here um he says physical fatigue first begins in the mind we are tired long before our body actually needs rest so i'm thinking of jesus going through the physical pain of the cross the physical pain of being whipped he's carrying his cross up the mountain and wes is talking about how our mind gets tired before our body actually does. I think of when I'm running and I start feeling tired, I'll get distracted thinking about something, 
uh, caught up in the lyrics of a song I'm listening to or praying or dwelling on a thought. Or listening to a podcast. Yes, or maybe listening to a podcast. <laughs> I actually don't listen to podcasts while I run, so that wouldn't be me. Um, Seth, don't admit that. No, I listen to You should listen the to car. the Competing Biblically podcast while you run. <laughs> Just um, But seriously. But when I'm running and I'll be <laughs> lost thinking about something and... I'll realize, wow, I don't feel tired because I wasn't there sitting there thinking and dwelling on what I, you know, my fatigue. So the mind does get tired before the body does. The body can go farther than a lot of times our mind thinks it can. That's why I hate treadmills. Yeah, that's true. Because you just, like, so I'm looking numbers. at my treadmill right now in the basement and like Lindsay comes down here, she uses it much more than I do. I use the weights more, but just like staring at the wall is... But maybe that would help me hone in my attitude of intensity Mm -hmm. uh, to be able to push through those things. I think as I read this chapter, I think zooming out a little bit is helpful as well. Like the, when we think intensity, we think we don't, I don't, we don't always think of it the way that the the Lord is kind of framing it out here, the way that Wes is framing it out here, that Jesus's commitment. I see here like in, um, he quotes John five 30, I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then John 17, I glorify thee on earth, having accomplished the work uh, which thou hast given me to do. Going old school King James Mm -hmm. there. Wes, I like it. Um, But yeah, zooming out that his intensity was on the mission. Mm -hmm. His intensity was focused on the mission. Like Mm -hmm. he was set... um, the Bible would say like that he set his face like flint towards Jerusalem at one point when he knew the mission was at hand. Like he mm-hmm. always knew where he was going and his intensity was focused on doing the will of the Father. So yeah. we know that we've talked about this. There's kind of this twofold purpose for sport, at least the way that we see it and the way that Wes has pointed out here. The twofold is that we want to be conformed into the image of Jesus and or we want to be conformed into the image of Jesus so that we can shine the light of Jesus mm-hmm. and get out on the disciple-making mission yeah. that Jesus gave to his church. So you see that, I mean, all, all those other things fall into place and those are ways that we can glorify and be conformed. But just thinking intensity through the lens of Christ is fixed on the Father's will, like you were saying in, in mm-hmm. Hebrews 12 too. Yeah, and and actually this... There's another quote here that relates to something we've talked about. We've talked about the idols. He says, Yet, because our attitude is frequently focused on our own pleasure rather than on completely representing Jesus, we often think we need rest when we really don't. Um, Anytime, and this is really a principle, and it's a biblical principle, and it's a practical principle. Anytime we are focused on ourselves, we are going to be dissatisfied. That is the way God has not designed us to constantly be thinking about what we want, what we need, what we desire. Um, He's designed us to serve him and to serve others. And the enemy tries to take our focus and to put it solely on ourselves. And as a result, we will always be dissatisfied when thinking about ourselves. That's why it's important. You can't just take away the old. That's why the Bible talks about taking off the old and putting on the new. You can't just say, Um, take off these old behaviors, these old patterns without putting something new in. So you need to have a new purpose, a new goal, a new conviction for the way you compete and the way you live. Because if not, there's going to be no ability to push through 
um, things that are difficult because you don't just, it's, we can do it for a while under sheer willpower, get through things that are difficult, but unless there's something we see that we're striving for, that we're yearning and seeking and running after and pursuing, uh, we're not, it's, it's going to be really difficult to get through those difficult, those difficult things. Yeah, and I know we talked about it uh, on one of the episodes recently where we talked about um, Christian athletes losing motivation. That's that's where we see that, um, where we see that, where we see the stripping away of striving after our own uh, pleasure, recognition, uh, control um, through sports. We we take away the purpose of why we do sports, and then oftentimes we don't re- replace that purpose with Christ. Uh, and so that that's when we see like, oh, we can go for a while. Um, but man, we just start to lose motivation. We start to lose, uh, the reason why we're doing it. We, when we don't have a reason, we're very unlikely to do things. And this is what, uh, Wes is trying to communicate in every aspect of our life. Christ has to be the reason we are doing something. So with that intensity, with that intensity, it has to be focused not only on just playing hard, not only on just making an incredible play. It has to be focused on, am I glorifying God in this moment? And Zach, as you're sharing that, I, I went back this week to listen through. Uh, we're, we're getting ready to to start recording and filming the second half of the foundation videos that are mm-hmm. going to hopefully come out first of the year or turn of the year somewhere in there. Um, and listening to the episode on New Mind, mm-hmm. just you read, Seth, you read the competitor's creed at the end of it. Mm-hmm. So it just from what you and Zach were saying, these, these words from the competitor's creed came to mind. It says that my attitude on and off the field is above reproach, my conduct beyond criticism. So whether I'm preparing, practicing, or playing, I submit to God's authority and those who, who he put over me. I respect my coaches, officials, and teammates, and competitors out of respect for the Lord. And then the last stanza says, I give my all all the time. I do not give up. Hmm. I do not give in. I do not give out. I'm the Lord's warrior, a competitor by conviction, and a disciple of determination. And de- determination. I am confident beyond reason because my confidence lies in Christ. The results of my effort must result in his glory. That's so good. Let the competition begin and let the glory be God. Thank you, Steve Fitzhugh, for your interpretive reading of that. If you guys have never heard that, look it up on YouTube. Steve does an gr- awesome reading. You want to get fired up? Steve Fitzhugh does an awesome reading of the Competitor's Creed. Really? I'm going to have to link that video in the description. It's worth We'll have it. to find it. Yeah, he's the man. So, no promises, y'all, but if I find it, I'll put it in the desc- a link to it in the description because yeah. I want to see that now. But um, I love that, that Competitor's Creed what's the word I'm looking for? Not reeks is the wrong word, like a strong, but that's everywhere. Um, about identity in Christ mm-hmm. and purpose and conviction rooted in an identity in Christ. And I think that's what we talk about intensity. I, f- I feel like intensity is almost like an unshakable conviction. When, when we can, when we talk about competing with intensity, it's an unshakable conviction and like Zach was saying it's not that we're going to score the game winning goal make you know make the best tackle but it's it's how we compete it's the heart we talk a lot about the heart on here because that's what we're after it's the heart that's on display the heart that we compete with and the attitude and effort with which um, we carry ourselves 
And that is what we're talking about, like that conviction from an identity that is rooted and built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And when you and when you really do have that identity, when you know who you are, and you know why you're doing it, why you're doing what you're doing, why you're competing, there is so much more motivation. I think we're getting into motivation in your next chapter and a couple of chapters. That's such a better motivation, such a stronger motivation. Um then pleasure, then recognition, and all of those, all those other things. Yeah, I think one of the other things that I think often as, as athletes and coaches and people of sport, like intensity gets us in trouble because yes. we're, we can be like a runaway train. Oh, yes. <laughs> like, just, I'm sorry, the song, that, those lyrics are in my mind. Runaway train never come. We don't have rights to that. We don't have rights to that. I can't sing that. Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we can be a runaway train like mm-hmm. we're just so intense so focused but focused on the wrong thing we were talking before the before we hopped on here to record yeah we get focused on the x's and o's the pursuit of winning by the world's definition the pursuit of those things that you were just saying recognition and pleasure and even blindly doing so like we're not we're not purposing in our heart to do that but we're not purposing that's the difference between mm-hmm. competing biblically is that is the purposing in our heart to seek out, to pursue doing yes. it the Lord's way and not our own. Yeah. Like, because when we go to default and then the next chapter, it talks about natural motivations versus, um, I don't know the language he uses, but like godly motivations, the things that would purpose and things like that, that would drive us in a good way. We're gonna, when we default to the natural the natural is the carnal is flesh. Like mm-hmm. it's not conform. It's not transformed into the image of Christ. It's yeah. conformed into the patterns of this world. And we see that Jesus, even though he had intensity on the Father's will and he didn't get off track, um, there was a flexibility to that intensity yeah. to serve the Lord, even if it looked like a little bit of a detour. Like he's. It says here in Luke nine that Jesus set his face like flint to Jerusalem. But still, some other stuff popped up. I mean, Luke 9 is still early in the book. Even though he purposed to go to Jerusalem, there's still 14, 15 chapters left yeah. um, until the end of the book. Yeah. Yeah, I, I want to go back, Nick, to something you, you said at the beginning of, of when you were talking about intensity, not just being intense as the world would say it, which is intense over you know whatever's going on. It's really intensity without any root to it. And, and West does say an attitude of intensity must always have direction towards mm. a purpose. And I think of we have a player that was on our team this year and um, and he in moment he had great intensity, but in moments of the game where we needed intensity, he would just go harder, faster, which was great. But there was no direction to it. So he just looked like a maniac running around the field and realistically did very, for the amount of effort he was putting out, did very little for us as a team. And it just showed me how all of our effort, all of our striving, if not focused and directed, is in vain, so much of it. And it's reckless and wild. So our intensity needs to have a focus. But I do love what you said, Nick, based on what Wes is talking about. We need to be open. You look at Jesus' ministry. He was set. He knew who he was, what he was set there for, and he was to do nothing except accomplish that mission. And yet we see God 
interrupting him with people all the time. And that wasn't a distraction from his mission. That's what God had called him to do for that day. There'd always be people on their walk, interrupt him, asking for healing. He would talk to people. He would go up to people. I'm thinking of the woman at the well. He went up to her and and struck up a conversation with her. Um, And so Jesus's day was often interrupted. So the idea of intensity can't be this sole focus that we don't allow anything from the outside of whatever we thought our plan for was for that day to come in because many times those are the things that Jesus uses. Yes, Seth. We see the life of Jesus kind of going back to last week, talking about Jesus in preparation. So how is he ready to deal with the woman at the well? How is he ready when he's going to... um going away to pray, going to a desolate place and people keep showing up and he keeps ministering even though he knows he needs, needs to get away. It's because he's in his mind, it's not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. I've came, I've come to accomplish the father's will and he got away and he prepared to walk in the spirit. So he knew when it was a distraction, when it was a trap, even like you just see him, even when being confronted by the Pharisees, like if I'm the king of kings and the Lord of lords and some joker is telling me that i'm beelzebub i'm like you know what i mean like i'm god Mm -hmm. (laughs) and even though i emptied myself of 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 my godness like philippians 2 says it's i would clap back Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know what i mean but jesus always knew the right thing to do he always he was always seeking the father's will and he knew from the spirit when when to confront Wenda, and you see, as he turned his face towards Jerusalem, he got more more confrontational. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think the answer is, in the midst of all that, the rigid flexibility is running everything through that filter of, you know what, not my will, but yours be done. It's like, as an example, last night, we we're getting ready for the competing biblically call, the Zoom call. Which so, everyone should join. Yeah, so if you guys are listening to this, we would love to have you. First and third Monday of the, every month. Um, so the next call is December 6th. We'd love to have you, 8 30 to 9 30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We have to, we, we have we to have, clarify now yes. because our, our buddy... Tag Grisham, come on, man, jumped on the call. From and we had how Branson. many states represented? Uh, Jersey, P or not PA? Jersey, Delaware, Delaware, North Carolina, North Carolina, and and Missouri, and Missouri, and then some folks from. I think we'll have some folks from Virginia on the next call. Cool deal. So yeah, we, I'm preparing for the call last night, and I'm down here. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna be super spiritual. I'm gonna pray. <laughs> I'm gonna pray for everybody by name, and that's a good idea. And I really am striving to do that. But I'm gonna pray for the people that are gonna be on the call. It's gonna be great. And on Monday nights, Lindsay goes to Bible study, so I'm here by myself with the kids. Um, and I thought I did a great job. Seven thirty, they're in bed. Felt like I was crushing it, and I'm down here trying to get started to pray, and I hear feet running around upstairs. And my first thought is, man, I Caleb's in trouble. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go lay into him, and he's going to get a talking to. But as I was going up, I felt like the Spirit, because I was praying and trying to be with the Lord, I feel like the Spirit just stopped me. I wasn't praying for help in that situation, but he intervened and just said, no, you need to be calm. Mm-hmm. So I felt peace, and I went up and went to go see what was going on. Hey, maybe he's scared. Maybe there's things going on and he just didn't want to be alone. So I laid down with him and in the sweetest, 
possible way. It's just like the Holy Spirit, I feel like, dropped on him. He's like, we should pray for our friend, Mr. Peter. Lives in a closed country in a rough place. And um, Caleb, five-year-old, starts praying for that God would protection protection him, that God would, that's how Peter says it usually, God, pray, pray that God protections us. <laughs> but he, praying that God would protect him and protect his family, that God would allow him to spread the gospel. And I'm just like, okay, I was not on my radar to pray for my friend Peter. Mm-hmm. But Holy Spirit, you had something in that. Mm-hmm. And the, I mean, honestly, I just a proud dad moment of just being excited like, God, are you doing something in this five-year-old? Mm-hmm. God, keep doing things in him, like save him and use him in this way. But it was not on my radar to pray for Peter, but we got to pray for Peter. And a five-year-old's heart was engaged in the mm-hmm. things of God, engaged in prayer, engaged in the mission. Mm-hmm. And I got to the point where I'm like, well, God, you're going to take care of this call anyway. So yeah. I'll come down and pray and be ready. But that prayer was neat. Like yeah. that was, and it was needed for me mm-hmm. and an intimate moment with me and Caleb mm-hmm. that was not on the radar for the night mm-hmm. in my plans. Yeah. And, and sometimes I think in that moment, if we get caught up in our flesh and what we want and a strong will, not for God's will to be done, but ours, we can miss, I mean, how that moment could have looked so different if it was a, of, okay, if more of walking up the stairs and saying, all right, he's going to do what I want him to do. Yeah. And I'm going to make him or else. I mean, I, originally I was thinking not my yes. will, not not your will, but mine be done. <laughs> not your will, Caleb, but my will will be done. Yes. And the Lord had a different plan. Yeah. Which I think adversity, and we'll see this in the next section with Jesus' attitude of divine perspective. Mm. He uses the il- illustration of Lazarus. Mm-hmm. How, I mean, adversity, at least for me, is a way that I get derailed and discouraged and... Um, lose my intensity and folk my my intensity of focus, mm-hmm. uh, and you see that here in the story where Jesus, everything was purposed. He knew what he was doing. He knew that Jesus was going. I mean, he knew that Lazarus was going to die. He knew it, and he delayed himself mm-hmm. and waited. So Lazarus's his friend is sick. Mary and Martha are his sisters. Like there's the relationship between Jesus and Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and he lets his friend die so that I mean I think he says it here in one part like I told you that if you believe that you would see the glory of God on display mm-hmm. and he says Lazarus come out of the grave but I think it also it's another like interesting thing the next one next thing we're going to talk about is emotion under control it's not that Jesus was a robot and all this stuff like one of the shortest verses in the Bible Jesus wept mm-hmm. like even though he had a plan and a purpose and he knew what he was doing and he knew that Lazarus was going to die for the glory of God and and show that Jesus was like Jesus had authority over death by calling him out of the grave he knew all those things yet when he encountered Mary and Martha he wept yeah like he was over like he was overcome with emotion and i don't mm-hmm. the bible doesn't give us a whole lot of commentary on why he cried was it sympathy for what they were going through? Like, I mean, I think of even like after tough losses, like when yeah. things don't go, like it's okay. Yes. So to have emotion, but not to be controlled by the emotion instead to control yes. our emotion through a divine perspective. Yeah. So I, I have a couple of thoughts on, on what you just said. First of all, um, yeah, 
I, even though I feel like the Lord's really developed my perspective of winning and losing and winning isn't like the, the, by the scoreboard, winning is really not what I aim for, um, as a coach. And we try and portray that to our athletes, but yet there's still an emotion I feel according to how the game goes as a coach. And it's because that these, these athletes that I'm coaching, it's, because I, how much I care and how much of my heart that they have and how much, you know, I want them. I want it for more than I, and this is actually where I I struggle to seek for the win sometimes, not because I need to win. Like this year, a couple times I wanted our guys to win so bad because I felt like they deserved it and they needed it and they wanted it and they, and they should get it. And, um, and my heart goes out for them and I would go up and down the emotions with them, even though at the end of the day, I would be with them for a few minutes, you know, as emotionally. But then we were packing up the stuff. Coach and I are talking, you know, last, we're kind of typically the last ones to leave. And, you know, that back into the big picture, the divine perspective. Mm-hmm. And the second piece of the divine perspective, which is cool because this happened in the spring. Um, something I didn't know God was doing through me, which is really cool, is that I had an athlete come up and there was a time where we needed them to step up. Things were not going well. And I, and I, this is one of our, our female athletes. She's a senior. So she's, I've had her all four years. And I said, you know what this moment is? And she goes, an opportunity. Mm. And I realized I had talked to them about that in the past, but that stuck out to her. And that really was encouragement to me because difficult moments, you said adversity, Nick, that we struggle with adversity, adversity, difficult moments are opportunities, especially. So say you're someone who has struggled to maintain your cool with officials and the official makes a bad call on you. Guess what? That is an opportunity to grow, to get better, to fix. Um, say the team is doing really is really playing poorly, and they need you to step up, or you can contribute to the team, step up and be a leader. That difficult moment is an opportunity for you to step up. Same thing, coach. When your team is struggling, that is your opportunity to be the leader to step up. So it's in these difficult moments that the opportunity for God to form us into his image and to use us to shape others are at its, at its best and at its highest. So um, it's really retraining ourselves and our mind to see adversity as opportunity. And I'm really good at telling other people about that and having that perspective with other people and not always so much with myself, but that's one of those divine perspectives I feel like that are really important. One of my favorite things about the hap is are the pictures in it. <laughs> so so going from this divine perspective and talking about opportunities and especially opportunities we're using that the anger one, it shows this this image, th- these pictures here of hockey players. And hockey is a sport, at least in the, the professional level, where fighting is okay. Mm-hmm. Well, it's penalized, but it's like... Kind of celebrated. It's kind of celebrated. Yeah. And, I mean... I don't know. I'm still working out my salvation with fear and trembling, <laughs> but going to a pro hockey game when a fight breaks out, and there, cheering. there is a little bit of me that's like, oh yeah, this is a good game. Let's go. <laughs> so I'm, I need to be redeemed. So I don't want to laugh at that, but I I'll do, laugh at it I do enjoy it a little bit. Um, but 
use this illustration of like getting a tripping someone trips you the official doesn't see it you fall on the ice your initial reaction is to just crunch <laughs> there's a picture of a guy hitting a guy over the head with a hockey stick at crunch sign so i think like obviously that shouldn't be our reaction is to crack somebody over the head although i've had that feeling well up in me once or twice mm-hmm. um so yeah, hitting somebody over the head shouldn't be a reaction, although it does run through, it's run through my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there is this, so for us, it's like the opposite of that. So what would Jesus do? Well, he would turn the other cheek, which is true. But what does that actually look like? Mm-hmm. There's still purpose. And in, like going back, I love that the that they that he started here with the word intensity and I didn't realize it until we started recording how much I really love the, that idea of the attitude of intensity. So the final picture here is like the guy ripping a goal. So instead of internalizing it or instead of outwardly attacking the other player, he redirected towards his purpose. You see it with Jesus on the cross is like he's in the garden pleading with the father, not my will, but yours be done. Sweat, sweat, like sweating droplets of blood. He goes, he's on the cross, he's hanging there. Forgive me, Father, for, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. He's turning the other cheek, but he had never lost his intensity of focus. Mm-hmm. You were saying Romans 12, 2, that for the joy set before him, mm-hmm. he endured the cross. Yeah. And then even he knew him, the Bible would say that him who, he who ascended also descended. Mm-hmm. Like he he knew the work that had to be done, so I th- I mean I just kind of have the picture of like that Carmen skit champion <laughs> of like it looked like the devil had won, yeah. it looked like evil had won, yet Jesus never lost his purpose because no one took his life from him. Even like this in- illustration of being tripped, like being fouled being intentionally fouled, the rules being broken, you being wrong, you being sinned against. We play right back into it when we respond. Yes. Out of anger, out of, even if we don't hit the person, if we talk about them, we gossip, we grumble and complain, get angry at the official, whatever it is, like that's our intensity of focus being shifted in the wrong direction. Yes. Where Jesus never lost focus that I, I need to die on the cross but I will be reinstated. Yes. I will rise. Yes. I got to finish this thing through to the very end. You were talking about like our responsibility in all this thing. Our responsibility is to empty ourselves mm-hmm. of all of our mental and physical energy. Like, so you, when Seth, you were talking about like feeling some of that emotion, like, look, if we empty ourselves out, if we give everything physically, mentally, and emotionally, making the most of every situation to get the most uh, conf- transformation into the image of Christ and the most out of shining his light, there's going to be raw emotion there. Yeah. And you see that in Jesus. Like, he sweated drops of blood. Mm-hmm. But he knew the purpose. He had to die. He had to rise again to defeat hell, Satan, and the grave. Yeah. And he did. Yeah. And now he ha- now he is ruling and reigning. He's back established. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father, ruling and reigning over the creation with Satan as his footstool. Yeah. Yeah, I like that illustration that Wes gave and you expanded upon, Nick. Um, but I do want to like, I do want to clarify one thing about that. 
talked about like when we get fouled, rather than taking it out, redirecting our energy. And there's another picture farther down where he goes and scores a goal. Um, I do think that's different than sometimes like some coaches who meanwhile tell you to take your anger from that situation mm-hmm. and redirect that anger into the way you play and why that can be short-term effective or why that, while that can be effective in the short term, I know we've talked about how that is not how the Bible has called us to compete, that we're to be motivated by the love of Jesus Christ and not by our anger. And that verse, and you reference back again to, to um, Hebrews 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It wasn't, it wasn't an anger. It wasn't a frustration. It was joy that helped him endure. So it's for the joy set before you, the joy of your purpose, the joy of competition set before you, that you're going to endure bad calls, um, cheap shots, all these other things. It's for the joy set before you that you're going to endure them. It's not a matter of taking that anger and playing angry. It's that, no, these things are going to happen, but they're not going to deter us from the joy and the purpose and the intensity that we have through Christ. Yeah, and the practical application of that as well is like, and Zach, you know this from lacrosse, like you're not helping your team in the sin bin. No. Like, so if you, even if you fight here in this situation, you're still going to get a five-minute major. You're going to be off the ice. You're going to be off the field. You're going to be out of competition. You're not going to be able to help your team win. Coaches, I've, I've, given so much energy to arguing calls and being upset about calls. And we've talked about this on the podcast before, but instead redirecting that energy in love to bless your team and help them move forward. Like that's Christian leadership. That is the attitude of intensity of Christ that no matter what comes against me, I know that I'm more than a conqueror. Yeah. In Christ Jesus, yes, nothing can separate me from the love of from the love of God. Not heaven, not not things above, not things below, n- not sword, not famine, not threat of debt. Like nothing can set me from uh, set me uh, apart from the love of God. Mm-hmm. And because of that, the love of Christ compels me to pour myself out. Yeah, and that's the the difference between that love is. I don't know if this was we talked about on the call last night or whatever, but that's the difference between sacrificial love, the love from First John four nineteen that we we love God because He first loved us. That initiating sacrificial love is that it always tor- turns out towards God and others. Yes, and that that's what holds all of this competing biblically stuff together. That we would be free to not love does not seek its own. Mm-hmm. And that's what that is. It's selfishness. Yeah. Now look, if a guy cracks, if a guy trips me, I'm, I'm just trusting the officials are going to get it. If they don't, I'm I'm not going to get trapped by that because that's a distraction. Yeah. My my face is set like flint to be conformed in the image of Christ. Yeah. And, and going back to being out of the game, even if you're not out of the game, if you're still in the game but you're caught up in whatever's going on, you're still not helping your team. Um, and I've yeah. seen players, I've seen, so a couple years ago, there's a specific, I saw it happening the moment it happened. There was a coach, the team, it was the first 10 minutes of a game. The team was in control of the game. They hadn't scored yet, but they, they had control of the game, dominated the possession. They, the other team got the ball back in their defensive third, uh, for only a few seconds. And there's a bad call and the coach blew up at this bad call. And then, um, 
free kick. On the free kick, one of the players makes a mistake. Didn't end up, didn't result in a goal for the other team, but the players, one of the players makes a mistake. He gets so frustrated, and then the the goalie ends up picking up the ball, plays the ball out, and that player made a mistake and gave possession away to the other team. They got another shot off, didn't score. But he blew up on that as well. And in a matter of about 20 seconds, the whole team went from controlling the game. And I could I knew the second this coach started talking, I could see what was happening. And I don't I knew it was going to happen. The rest of the game, they played 75% of the game on defense mm-hmm. from that very moment on because it completely brought down the team. Um, so being caught up in all those little, even as a coach, um, not even against the referees, getting caught up in every single mistake your players make is destructive to the team, especially when you're not coaching in a constructive manner. Um, if you're just pointing out and yelling out every single mistake that's made on the field and getting frustrated, you bring your team's ceiling way down. Um, and I've seen that happen throughout the, the result of a game. So keeping that big picture perspective and purpose in mind, not letting the enemy, like you've been talking about, Nick, take us away from from our purpose and, and why we're there. Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna end that there. Uh, unfortunately, it's about time for us to to wrap up. Although I think we could keep talking. This this has been a really good, really practical conversation. Yeah, actually. Um, and, and next week should be as well. Yes. This idea, the next couple weeks of around motivation, should be super, con- like, practical, conversational, and I think a lot of opportunities to share where we've fallen short. Yes, and a lot. I'm looking a lot more good good pictures too. So um, <laughs> excited to see those and dive into those. But um, yes, join us. Register for the call if you would like. We'd love to have you. The link will be in the description. And um, next week we talk about motivation when it comes to competition. So we will see you guys then. <laughs>